Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Bali Effect. This is Preeti Tana. This is Dee Dee Perry. Dee, what's up? <laughs> Dee, what's up? Well, I hope you <laughs> can excuse me and all our listeners can excuse me. I'm like fighting something. I There's mean, something it's... going around. It's that time of year. Yeah. It's 30 degrees one day and 50 the next and I've caught something and... You know, it might be reflecting in the texture of my voice today. So I will try not to have this be a drool fest or not drool fest, but drool. sniffle fest. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just a lot of liquid coming out of well, me. Well, you know, it's February 1st. So on the East Coast. So I think we're going to uh, probably encounter a lot of that. You know what I'm realizing, Preeti? I've had a moment. <laughs> Ooh, tell me. Well, this is, it's a moment that keeps on presenting itself. And I don't want to view this negatively because life is a privilege. Every single day is a privilege. Absolutely. And we keep on getting reminding reminders of that constantly mm-hmm. in poignant ways. But I am also acknowledging my body isn't as resilient as it used to be. I used to not get sick. Like I, I didn't, you know, as a kid, I wasn't, well, actually I did have things, but I didn't constantly feel like I was, oh, I got to boost up on my echinacea. Right. I got to make sure I'm taking all my vitamins. Da, 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 da. It was just good health was something that always was yeah, more or less intact. And now I have to work towards it. And well, I think it's, I think we work towards not getting sick, right? Work yeah. towards keeping healthy and stress-free and putting ourselves in situations that don't get us sick. Absolutely. Although we live in New York City, so I, I, it's really <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, I don't know. I think it has something to do with uh, this weird three-letter word called age. <laughs> Didi, I mean, Didi, you're much younger than me. I no, think. I'm not. You know, you mentioned that. I was listening to an earlier episode. I was like, what is she talking about? Well, we're never going to reveal ages. All right. Okay. Again, you look 29, but well, I mean, it's not far off. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. But. I, I would like to know, Sister Preeti, <laughs> when did you realize that you, you weren't, your body did not have the same parameters to to do the sorts of things that it used to be able to do? Like, for example, for me, I used to be able to pull an all-nighter yeah. or just party all night right? and that and keep it moving. Like, it did not slow me down at all right. whatsoever. Uh-huh. And now I'm like... Mm. It's ten thirty. I need to go to sleep. Like <laughs> you have an hour on me. Around eight fifty nine, I start to wind down. Yeah, like yeah. when did that start to happen? Because now, if I stay awake all night, and truly the only reason that I really do that nowadays is for work, I am wrecked for like the rest of the week. I, I'm so tired. I wish it. I I actually would love to answer simply and just say it's age, but I think it's a combination of two things. Mm. I think one is the mind aspect of it Mm. uh, because I've noticed uh, when I'm traveling or on vacation and stress stress free, Mm -hmm. um, I can stay up all night. I can really rally around when my mind is in a place of ease and excitement and uh, fun. Mm -hmm. It is the everyday of things that are obviously necessities working, you know, mm-hmm. the stress of, 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 you know, relationships and parents and all that kind of stuff that I tend to, to need that extra bit of sleep. So for me, I don't know that there was a moment that I felt as though 
uh, I've changed. I think it still is pretty much the same. But, you know, when I was younger, I wasn't as stressed and I was probably doing more things that were were fun and, and easy or at least my what I perceived to be. Like that's the emotional part I think about. The physical part, honestly, probably just a year and a half ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh, a year man. and a half ago, I, I got. I had. Early. <laughs> I had my first injury. I hurt my back, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I really thought, "Oh, I can't." You know, I've not experienced uh, any sort of pain or or limitations physically until then, mm-hmm. and and that's when it started to, you know, the oh, you, you maybe you can't do what you've always wanted to do. Although I don't think that's true either. But that right. was when I started to realize. Well, I mean, things. I see bodybuilders who are like a hundred, right? So maybe that's in our head. You know, we are conditioned to think that the older you get, there are more limits. But maybe it's just that as time goes on, you just have to readjust and retool how you're going to pursue the activities that you used to. Maybe. And I think that the body has an incredible um, way of healing itself if given the right environment and the right attention. So maybe it's a little bit about you didn't need as much attention when you were younger if something went wrong because your body would heal itself much faster. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, as we continue to age, it's more about, you know, how are we attending to some of those things? Well, do you think that like seeing the doctor has anything to do with that? I have uh, mixed feelings on doctors, actually. Uh Well, on Western medicine, I should say. Okay. Because in 2003, I uh, was grinding my teeth at night and couldn't open. I was at work and I remember I couldn't open my mouth because Hmm. of the pain in my jaw. And, you know, you think, what doctor can you see for that? And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll go get a massage to sort of ease the pain. I think massages are great medicine. In fact, what happened was my massage therapist said they had no appointments, but that there was an acupuncturist that was in the space. And did I want to come and try acupuncture? And I did not. (laughs) You know, I thought that's not something that uh, sounds appealing to me at all. But I had no choice. Mm -hmm. And that uh, started, you know, twice a week sessions at the acupuncturist for the next decade. Did it, so it worked? Oh, yes. It was an incredible, incredible feeling. And so what ended up happening over that next decade with that particular acupuncturist who also became a very good friend of mine, um, any ailment I had, I saw her first, Mm. right? So I think, I think I, uh, and, and I say for acute illness and for acute pain, absolutely. Uh, I believe in drugs and Western medicine and and seeing a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for things that are uh, less acute or um, maybe more chronic in some ways, I tend to go on the Eastern side of medicine. Well, that is fascinating. I I recently had a bit of a moment where I realized, yes, I agree with you that certain things need to be addressed medically. Right. However, the doctor to me is not always right. And that right. is something that I truly have not really felt deeply, but I was having tremendous pain like earlier um, last year and in my back and I didn't understand what's happening and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where I could not walk. Wow. I was like ex- wincing and crying. So I went to the urgent care center mm-hmm. 
And they talk about massage. They tried to insist that I had thrown out my back and that it was something muscular. They prescribed me opiates. They prescribed me in muscle the, in, rel- the, in the first meeting. Yes. In the, and they prescribed me uh, muscle relaxants and they right. prescribed me linocaine, like wow. patches or something. Right. And they're just like, it's probably a muscle. I'm like, I'm the queen of a good massage. I know when my muscles are hurting. Right. right. And I really just want you to get inside of there because I think there's something under my muscles. Right. There's something internal. And they did not believe me. And I'm like, listen, I kind of know my body. I've been in it for 13 years. You know. But they really, <laughs> and only because I was like, listen, I don't think you got this one right. So just humor me. Can I get some sort of like internal check? Because you're just poking around. You're not well, this getting was, this to This was it. urgent care, right? This was you urgent know, care. I think this probably touches on a topic and I don't want to you know, dismiss Still urgent care, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's, uh, you know, part of the healthcare they're system. Doctors. They're yeah. doctors, but, um, you know, how are doctors trained and how are doctors told to see patients in something like urgent care? Right. You know, if if you thought about it, um, if, if the goal is to get in and get people out and sort of make a diagnosis and make someone feel better, all of the things they prescribe to you would absolutely make you feel better in the short term. Yes. It wouldn't necessarily address the root problem. But because I was making such a stink, they did send me to a radiologist who then discovered that my colon was infected. All these people with their special learning (laughs) got it wrong. And I was like, aha, I told you. But perhaps we might now turn the the attention over to a true compassionate provider of medical care. We are honored to have Dr. Alicia Leggett in the house today. Hi, Alicia. What's up, Dee Dee? Welcome, Alicia. How are you? Welcome to the Bali Effect. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Listen. With my cold and all. (laughs) We were not trying to bash you or your profession at all. We're just speaking our truth. Of course. We really are grateful to you to be here to impart your wisdom. Thank you. Because we know that. And your truth is, is truly valid. Well, thank you for that. And I will say, of course, um, you know, in the spirit of disclosing all impartiality and partiality, Alicia and I went to college together. What? What? Columbia in the house. Lions. Shout out to Lions. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, just for those who do not know who Dr. Leggett is, she is a primary care physician specializing in wellness, disease prevention, and holistic medicine. And she is laboring on the front lines of preventing disease. And she is also an accredited HIV specialist mm-hmm. and an Ayurvedic health and healing counselor. Yes. And yes. in addition to her practice, she recently launched a consulting business that educates patients about how to get the most out of your visits with the doctors. And she is launching an online course for women to help them prepare and optimize their bodies for pregnancy. Alicia, do you think you could do something valuable with your time? I mean, this sounds... This sounds like, really, we got to get some more heavy hitters on this podcast. (laughs) I mean, we we don't have enough time to to run down all of your credentials. However, we are thrilled to have you here. And let's just jump right into it. Right. Let's jump into it. Did you always know that you wanted to be a healer, a doctor, a person that was fighting the increasingly complex business focused medicine system machine thing? (laughs) Talk to us. 
So I actually did know that I always wanted to be a physician. Um, it, it actually all started when I was a kid. Uh, my mom, um, so I grew up in Seattle, Washington. My mom is originally from Mobile, Alabama. Um, and so Mobile? we moved to Seattle. Well, she moved to Seattle during the late 70s, during, you know, kind of at the tail end of the Great Migration out of the South mm-hmm. uh, for greater economic opportunity. And my mom, she was basically a caregiver her whole career. Um, she was a certified nursing assistant. If you guys don't know what that is, it's yes. a person who yeah. really helps patients in the hospital. And also uh, you see them in great numbers in nursing homes that really help um, people with their activities of daily living. So, so like, you know, helping people bathe themselves and feed themselves and move from the bed to the chair and personal hygiene, talking to them if they're you know, if they need something, bringing them water, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And my mom, she just had such a big heart. So in addition to her, you know, her her full-time job, which she often had like two or three to make ends meet, she would also um, visit elderly people in our neighborhood as well who lived alone or who didn't have a lot of family nearby. Um, and she would always drag me along and say, come right. on, we're going to go visit this person. And there was one woman I remember in particular. Her name was Miss Bonnie. And she's like, come on, we're going to go see Miss Bonnie. And we could walk to her house. She was like four blocks away. Um, And she would always let us in, open her door. And um, I just remember had this smell. Like, do you know what I mean? Like old people's houses kind of smell weird. weird. And as a kid, you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. Like her house smells, mom. And then the first thing she's like, okay, get to work, you know? So I was basically there to clean up. <laughs> Take out the garbage, wash Miss Bonnie's dishes, refresh um, the formaldehyde, sweep. Yes, I gotta tell you something though. Miss Bonnie <laughs> loved every minute. Oh, of she all did. Of, of course, she yes. did. And my mom would bring her food, and she'd sit and talk to her. And um, yeah, so she, you know, she did that for so many people in our in our neighborhood. And I just always saw her as somebody who, you know, just provided so much care and attention to people who really needed it. So I knew I always wanted to kind of follow in her example. Um, and when I was really young, I always thought she was a doctor, you know, just because right. of the way that she approached people and the way that she cared for people. And I was like, yeah, I want to be like my mom. Like, that's what I want to do. But it really wasn't until much later that I realized that actually the certified nursing assistants are not doctors mm-hmm. and that they, you know, especially in my residency, that they're not really treated with the respect that they deserve. Right. Yeah. Right. Talk about being on the front lines. I know. You know, sometimes, at least from my end user experience as a patient, it's as if the doctors come in, you know, at the very, very end of this process, and then everything else is passed off to all these other people who are spending a lot more time with the patient um, afterwards. So what does the word wellness mean to you? It's kind of, you know, it's very in vogue right now. But to you, as a person who's devoted their career <laughs> to it, she did a fun little thing. Yeah. Now, you couldn't see that visually. What What does it mean? What What is wellness? Wellness, in my mind, really encompasses um, total body and mind health and spiritual as well. I think yes. often in um, Western medicine, we kind of tend to separate um, the body from the mind and also the spirit. So there's really, you know, there's a triad here that you really need to think about when you're thinking about, am I a well person? Am I a healthy person? Right. Um, so for me, it's really important that, um, you know, in terms of the body, uh, in terms of the mind, the spirit, 
that they are not disconnected and they really should be seen as in, in an entity as a whole. So when people come into the clinic and they're like, you know, I, I'm not sleeping, you know, in my mind, and luckily I've been trained to, to be able to think this way because I'm a general practitioner. So we really do think about people in terms of the whole and not separate separate. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, like specialists who are just a cardiologist, they think about the heart, the gastroenterologist thinks about the stomach. Um, Really, your generalist should be thinking about you and where you are um, in in your life right now and how that pertains to your particular complaint. Um, So, you know, someone who's not sleeping, wow, I mean, I feel like my differential, which is, you know, the list of things that could be going on is just so long, you know. Uh, It could be a physical ailment, but it also could be an ailment with, you know, some isolation, uh, which is a huge thing in our culture. People who are isolated, people who are depressed, people who don't have support, uh, people who are lacking direction, people who, um, you know, don't really have some sort of spiritual grounding, something that grounds them, uh, that makes them feel very, um, have a lot of angst within them. And so a lot of times people will present to the doctor for these ailments that a lot of times physicians don't have the training or the foresight to be able to recognize. Do you, do you, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've often felt something where I didn't know who to see yeah. because I, you know, feel very blessed to be aware enough that it's probably not one specific thing. Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, in seeing patients, so you mentioned as a general practitioner, you're taught that. Do you think, well, actually two questions, you know, cardiologists as well, like all of these doctors should have a holistic view. Mm -hmm. Or do you think that um, when seeing any patient for any ailment? And two, do you, you know, where do, is that where you start? If you're feeling sort of uh, I have all these things going on I need to figure it out. I've often not known who to go to. Mm-hmm. Do I go to the specialist that's where I'm feeling the most acute pain? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of things that come up is functional medicine. Mm-hmm. Go see a functional doctor. So yeah. so what, what's, your, what's your advice or sort of how people navigate where to go? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a difficult uh, thing to answer because, right. um, you know, not all – you know, and I maybe I might be a little traitor by saying this, but not all doctors are created equal, right? right? So I feel like people should really start with the person that they trust uh, and the person that they can really uh, know is going to give them, point them in the right direction. Right. You know, if your doctor's that person, if you trust that person, absolutely. Right. But it could be your pastor. It could be your imam. It could be your mom. It could be, um, you know, because I feel like sometimes it starts with very basic general questions. Right. Like, what am I feeling? Why do I feel this way? Right. And I think sometimes when patients come into the clinic and they um, – you know, I unfortunately only have 15 minutes. Like that's the way the system is set up. Um, I have 15 minutes to see you. So in many cases, I'm relying on the patient to really have already done a little bit of pre-work or assessment. Like, how am I feeling? Where does it hurt me? How long have I been feeling this way? Um, What else has changed in my life Mm -hmm. um, that might contribute to why I feel this way? Um, So I feel like it's really good to kind of start with your own kind of internal assessment. However you go through that process, some people may approach that from a spiritual level with mm-hmm. like prayer or meditation. Um, other people might want to talk to someone, um, you know, close to them and just kind of bounce ideas. However, that process starts for you, I would say patients should really start there right. because ultimately, um, 
90% of the diagnosis comes from the history, from the story. So once the if the person comes in with their story pretty much intact and really knowing exactly what it is that's going on with their body, I can really give a more accurate assessment of what's happening. Um, all too often people come and they're like, I don't know. I have pain. I don't know when it started. I don't know why. I don't know this. I don't know. I'm coming to you. Well, that's you my, should know. That's me. And I'm yeah. like, look, look, I just met you. <laughs> But Two minutes ago. I think that's such a important thing I don't know nothing about you. I am feeling so chagrined. I right am not now psychic. Because I am I, not psychic. When I come in there, I'm like, <laughs> don't you know? That's why I, I had my moment. You know, I'm like, how y'all not going to know what I'm trying to but tell how, you But how would myself? we know? Okay, so this is my question. That's a, listen. This I have is... a whole, this is spinning my mind right now. <laughs> When you're in medical school, I mean, all we know is what we see on Grey's Anatomy, ER, Chicago. Are those shows even on anymore? But you get my gift. But when you're actually in training to become a physician, do they teach you about all these other things outside of the immediate empirical data that's being presented to you? Or is that something that sets you apart when you say not all doctors are created equal? Is that a part of the actual pedagogy for physicians? It is not. My training did not include that. But however, you know, that may have changed since I graduated. I graduated in 2010. So that was like 10 years. That's not too long ago, actually. But, you know, medicine is so rapidly evolving that Mm -hmm. I think, you know, because people have been really pushing back that there may have been some changes, right? Um, But I can't really say. But I can say for my training, absolutely not. Um, there's so much information that's like mashed into four years of training that oftentimes things like that really get pushed on the back burner. You know, I also, right? I also, I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with this. It also depends on your personal experience, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're all individual. And so whether you're a doctor or any other profession, your personal experience and how you view the world comes into all of that training. Absolutely. So, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be- so- yeah, people who, people who, um, you know, really come into medicine because they have some sort of personal, like you said, personal experience right. or a background that really drove them to that profession. Like, you know, for example, me caregiving, like that's something that was very embedded in the way that I grew up is to care for people to see them in a certain light. You know, going into medicine natu- was something that was natural for me. I always knew that I wanted to be a doctor since I was nine right. years old. Right. Um, but for other people who go into it for other reasons, like financial reasons or for prestige or things that are a little bit more superficial, um, they may not tend to view patients the same or right. people the same or individual experiences the same. Right. Uh, people may approach it with judgment or mm-hmm. with a much more critical eye as opposed to being more open about about what it is that is needed in you know in the human experience what do people need to be well what do people need to feel validated and a lot of times that's just a listening ear like right. literally saying nothing just being there listening being attentive you know and providing some sort of validation whether it be personal touch or right. you know eye contact i mean these are things are all human things that we all need right. you know but i think our culture in many ways has conditioned us to be starved from some of these things. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so what was the moment for you when you realized, I want to practice a different way? I want to study something that addresses the much more holistic side human. of the human 
patient yeah. that is before me. When did that come about? If you didn't get it in school. It was real quick. Let me tell you, when I started residency. So after I finished medical school, you do a residency training, which is basically your on-the-job training. Right. Um, you work in a hospital for a certain number of years, depending on which specialty you choose. In family medicine, that's three years. Um, and you, you know, you basically see patients and you get a lot of experience doing so. And I swear, I think my first two months, I was like, something's not right here. I thought, I thought it was going to be like Grey's Anatomy and like, (laughs) it was no ER. (laughs) And all these, I'm like, wait a minute, people are coming in for things I actually can't help them with. Mm. Or I have no idea how to address. Um, Such as what? Like people, for example, in the hospital, we would always get really frustrated when we get like these social admissions. We call them social admissions. Mm. So homeless people who would present to the emergency room because they had no place to go or because they were intoxicated and just need to detox. Yeah. Uh, people who would so not come... necessarily a medical issue, but right, right, I guess. right, oh. exactly. Or people who would just keep coming to the ER for small things because. Um, they didn't have a primary doctor. They didn't have health insurance. Right. Uh, they were undocumented. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just needed a place to go because they were in so much agony. They needed mm-hmm. to see someone. Wow. Or um, elderly people who um, whose family members are estranged from them, um, who literally, you know, don't have a lot of support. And so they just – their family members or whoever just drop them at the emergency room and they're like, we don't know what to do with this person. Like no. they can't care for themselves anymore. So let's just take them to the hospital. Um, and you're like, okay, but your 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 loved one's not really sick. They just need a place to. So that so that's what I, I mean see. by the social admissions. That's heartbreaking. Too. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, what do we do about that? Um, that's not something I was trained to do. Right. Right. But then you decided, let me try to address this. Yes. So I was extremely lucky in that my residency program was not only uh, focused on general practice, but also on what we call social medicine, which is really looking at the social determinants of health, which is like the in vogue word. Mm. But it's basically looking at um, what are some of the influences in a person's life that really determine their health outcome. Right. Right. So that could be your access to food, healthy food. Mm. It could be um, how many parks are in proximity to your home. It Mm. could be uh, whether or not there are um, smokers in the home, whether or not you walk to work or take public transportation, um, whether or not your parents uh, have a college degree. Uh, All of these things. I mean, so many things uh, that you can look at that really determine someone's overall health. Right. So. You know, we were really trained to also look at those things. Oh, and also racism, which is a huge thing, sexism, genderism, all these things that also, you know, can really uh, create chronic stress in a person's life. As we know, you know, being women of color, that, um, you know, these things can also affect your health and how you perceive the world. You know, that is that point in and of itself. I don't think we often recognize um how much it impacts our health, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we don't separate that out as a stress factor, in my right. opinion. Um, right. It's just survival. It's survival. It's yes, survival. Life. But yeah. also it's not just an individual thing, right? There's a racism is also built into the medical structure, right? And so, and into the assessment in many cases of the doctor, right? Because the assessment is really based on, like you said, partially my experience, but also my training, right? right? So the lens in which I view a person is really going to encompass all of that. So implicit bias is a real thing in medicine, okay? 
people, the same doctor can treat two different people with the same ailment two different ways based Damn. on their perception. Right. This is real. So in addition to their medical training. Yes. You can't you can't really discern out someone's experience, life experience from their training in medicine. Even though we try to pretend that we're completely impartial, that's just impossible. It's just part of the human experience is using your experience as well as your training to be able to make assessments. Right. Right. Good, bad, or indifferent. Right. Which is why it's so important to have diverse diversity of thought, um, diversity of religion, gender in medicine, because it's extremely important. In every every uh, walk of employment and every path of leadership diversity, I think is the underlying key to mm-hmm. start changing the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, because um, right. We, we, we can't address from one single point of view. Mm-hmm. With you saying that it makes me wonder, had I been, because the, when I was at the, the urgent care and getting told I had a muscular problem when truly it was my <laughs> colon, very different. Look, I'm not I a doctor. I hope some of those doctors are listening. Look, I know this. the knee bone is connected to the shin bone. That That's about where my knowledge ends. But I was trying to, the fact that I was just dismissed and the fact that you've got the coat and the stethoscope and you don't look like me, you know, not putting her out there, but this was a white woman saying all this to me and I'm telling her, the truth, as I am experiencing it, she looked at this black woman and did not believe that what she was saying about her body was consistent with, with what was going on with her medically. This is true. However, it is, I will say that it's a lot more nuanced than that. All right, give it, break it down. Break it, because <laughs> that, you touched on something earlier that I wanted to return to. Why do you only have 15 minutes to Girl. see a patient? Well, <laughs> now we're going to start talking about yeah. healthcare system. <laughs> right. Well, Okay, maybe let me frame it differently. Um, when was the moment that you realized that perhaps um, the way that medicine is practiced was different from what you expected when you at nine years old were like, I'm going to be a healer and I'm going to help folks and realizing like, oh, damn, this is a machine. And yet I still want to continue on in it. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I can't exactly say when that moment was, but, you know, I came to the realization very quickly that medicine is a business and it operates as such. Uh, we sell health and wellness to people. Um, we push pharmaceuticals um, and it's, you know, unfortunately, you're in many cases, it feels like a cog in a wheel, which is why we have the this patients huge, or the doctors or both? the doctors, wow. which is why you have this epidemic proportion of burnout that is occurring among physicians and nurses that is leading to massive shortages of healthcare providers all over this country because people are leaving medicine. People are cutting back hours. People are looking for something else to do because it can be very difficult to work in a system such as this. The autonomy in many ways has been redirected away from physicians who really, in many cases, have this altruism within them where they want to care for people to the best of their ability. Um, But unfortunately, running this system as if it was a business, as if we're selling iPhones or as if we're selling, you know, cereal or whatever is not the same thing, right? I... I, uh... I, you know, I think this theme has come up in, in many of our guests that we've talked to, you know, and I think it's, I don't know how to change that because I think that is, you know, the capitalistic society that we live in in America. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I so 
desperately wish that it had stayed away from the healthcare industry. Yeah. You know, if if we could have listen, the wellness industry is probably somewhere in a billion dollar industry, if not more. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know that stat. That's not a stat that I know, but um if if it could have stayed away from the healthcare industry, you yeah. know, I, I think that we would see um a very different perspective from not only patients but from doctors as well i feel like that's a it's an obvious statement but it's so disturbing because our lives are on the line yeah but we're not we're not viewed as that like we're individually saying our lives are on the line but you know to your point alicia we are we are not viewed as an individual person we're viewed as the next you know um dollar sign right Mm. and the doctor who saw you unfortunately is also a victim of the this these same stressors right. right because you know each provider who works in the healthcare system is also rated on their productivity um there's you know this whole system called relative value units or rvus that the, these companies use to place a value on you that is determined by how much money you bring in and it's determined by how quickly you can see people there's all these statistics that they use um and you also are sitting under the weight of all of that wow um and in addition to that there is you know caregiver burnout is real you know right. seeing 20 or 30 people a day you mm-hmm. know 40 hours a week that's a lot of people right so and right? I, to be fair i did see her at like 10 o'clock at night so she could have just been really tired yeah like so how, how do you feel at 99 night. like right it's yeah so mm-hmm. i mean unfortunately i think there have been a lot of compromises that providers have had to make personally and a lot of sacrifices personally that people are experiencing, you know, in higher rates than the, the general population, depression, anxiety, suicide, suicidal ideation, uh, people wanting to change careers. Like these are all things that um, physicians experience also. Mm. Yeah. And, and look, you know, I, I actually don't think it was uh, she saw you at 10 o'clock or and or she was racist. She probably, you know, everyone has unconscious bias mm-hmm. in some area. But that's, I think, Alicia, your point, you know, all of these factors. And probably for us, we can, we look at doctors as these, you know, <coughs> heroes and these gods and they yeah. have the answers to everything. But they're and human. They're not human. Right. But they but are. They are. Wow. Yeah. So we don't want this to only be a bash fest on physicians because we truly look to you to help us. To, to stay alive and to help heal us. So how can, what would you say that the average run-of-the-mill patient like us um, or anybody just going to the doctor, what if what is maybe two or three things that you think that they should know before they set foot into the doctor's office, the ER, to optimize what they get out of the experience? Okay, I think it's really important for people to understand their medical history. And mm-hmm. if they can, to get copies of their results, of their labs, um, of any sort of studies that were done on them in the past. Okay. Right? Because I think in most cases, um, I'm operating on information that the patient is giving me. But in many cases, people don't really understand what it is that happened to them or mm-hmm. what transpired with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that information really helps me to provide a more accurate assessment of what might be or you know, might be going on with them. Or maybe people can like take a picture of it and just like keep a snapshot of yeah. like their last thing in their phone. That, that too. But also like 
understanding like what was my diagnosis Got it. not like oh you know i had stomach pain i don't really know what it was or how it happened but they did something and um it's now it's gone it's it like is- no what 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 did they tell you you had mm-hmm. and you would be surprised how uh low the health literacy is just in general and how people very much open themselves up and their bodies up to you know have labs taken you know exposed to radiation through ct scans mris um you know have surgery performed on them and they have absolutely no idea what was done. So that would be number one is please understand what it is that happened to you, the actual diagnoses, write them down somewhere in like a medical file or a journal um, so that you know exactly what happened and you can report that to someone else. You don't have to know exactly the details, but at least saying, oh, I had a a colitis Right, you know, or right. I had a muscle spasm of my back, right, right, or a herniated disc. Or like, my something. back hurt. Yeah, you know, I would even, I would even say, uh, this is probably more for me, but generally speaking, you know, I go see the doctor. You know, mm-hmm. go don't you know? I think that I've experienced in my own life, and also you know, friends and family, we sometimes avoid it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even if the diagnosis is nothing i think at some point you have to decide when you're going to go figure out what is going on with you right for me i have this fear that i had to to work against being perceived as a hypochondriac before i even knew what that word was i remember when i was in law school i was sitting in in the the student lounge and we were like watching some comedy show because it made me laugh really really hard and i threw my head back in like a full belly guttural like (laughs) ha ha And by the time I was done laughing, I felt my hands had fallen asleep. And I felt like the back of my neck had fallen asleep. Like I had got the pins and needles. And I was like, that's so weird. And then it never went away for days. And we had a break during that time. And I don't know if you remember at the time, one of our classmates, I I won't shout the name out um, to protect the the, uh, innocent, but she, I, I happened to be speaking to her and I said, you know, my, my fingers have been asleep for like days now and I don't quite know what it is. And she's like, I need you to go to neurologist right now. Like pick up the phone and find the quickest one that you had because that's what happened to my mother. And she ended up needing um, a brain surgery because she was a couple days from an aneurysm. And I was terribly frightened by that. And I do believe, you know, in God <laughs> All things working together, I air quotes just so happened, but I think it was divinely um, uh, instructed. I found a neurologist right next door to my apartment. She was able to see me like two days later. She ran the test. And I remember she calling me while I was at the library. I had a follow up scheduled with her. And she was like, no, I'm going to need you to come back. Like, can you come today? Can you come tomorrow? And I'm like, what's wrong? They found something in my spine and in my brain. And I have, that's when she accurately white woman who I love till the day is done. Oh my God. She found and diagnosed me with an autoimmune condition that is incurable that I live with to this day. Um, that's neurological, but I was so, it didn't even occur to me to go to a doctor getting right. back to my original point. Right. I was like, I'm like, no, 
know, because I don't want them thinking that I'm one of those people that thinks there's something wrong with them, but there's really nothing wrong with them. And now I've just wasted everybody's time and money. But had that friend not said that, I mm-hmm. never would have gone, yeah. but it's been instrumental in, yeah. in my own health journey. Yeah. Um, I think it's difficult sometimes for people to know that, to know what's, you know, what will go away and with time and what is really serious and what they should know. follow up on. It's better to just know because then you can do something about it. Yeah. But that's why it's good to check in, right? Yeah. Yes. To do your check-ins exactly. with your advisor or your friend or your trusted and, person. And, and also, one of the things that has helped me is really a toolkit. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your to- who's in your toolkit? Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Have, have a have a group of people, just yep. like you have your posse of girlfriends. You yep. know, the one you go to you when have a wellness you have a breakup. Team. Right. right. Um, but you don't go to one of them. One of them is going to tell you to get over it. But the, the, you go to the other one that's going to comfort you, right? So I think the, the wellness team, as you called it, right? yeah. is super mm-hmm. important to have always. Right. Yeah. And that could be your trainer, or like your pastor, your uh, friend. It could be your nutritionist, your therapist. Um, right. You know, it really, you know, people who are invested in making sure that you stay healthy. You know it, what? Oh, go ahead. No, no please. I was, I was going to shift gears a little bit. Before the shift? Yeah. I would say um, when we are thinking about being on someone's wellness team, as we get older, for me, um, stepping into roles to support the elderly people in my life who I love very much, I have come to find it is so important to Mm -hmm. have that same information that you were speaking about, not only for yourself, but for your parents, for your aunties, for Mm -hmm. your uncles, whoever it is, because sometimes when people get sick, especially I think when you're a bit older, um, you're not ready to like go in and just attack it, Mm -hmm. but having someone else in the room with you can say, all right, here's the medical history. This is what I've observed in Mm -hmm. the last couple of da, 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 da. I mean, I've had conversations with, you know, the physicians on the sidebar. It's like, well, I'm the medical proxy. So really, let me give you the rundown and da, 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 da. And just being armed with that information, helping Mm -hmm. with the the treatment that Mm -hmm. they can get, um, I've found to be helpful. Absolutely. It's always, always, always better to have an advocate with you. Um, shout out to my doula who, uh, my birth doula oh, who was amazing. Exactly what I was going to shift. Yes, that's oh, yeah. Let's shift. She Let's was shift. the best. Even as a doctor, I needed her. I was like, girl, help me. <laughs> How has that experience okay. changed? Well, first of all, perception. for those who don't know, what's a doula? And then let's, <laughs> let's go. Everybody watches Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> oh, no, for that's... the two that don't. <laughs> what's a doula? So a doula is essentially a, a birth coach and pregnancy coach. Right. So they, you know, they help with a range of things. My goodness. Um, I feel like to even begin the list, I feel like I wouldn't be doing the job justice. But, mm-hmm. you know, basically she helped prepare me for um, the, the my labor. Um, she helped me with um, aches, pains, um, relaxation techniques. Um, she also helped with the labor itself. So it was actually my coach during the labor, um, in addition to the nurse. And then, you know, husbands, they do the best they can. But, you know, <laughs> they just, <laughs> you know, she was the one basically running the show when right. it was time for me to, you know, to start pushing. And it was amazing. I told her exactly what it is that I needed, wanted, what I expected. We were able to talk about that. 
Um, and she, you know, knew exactly what my birth plan was. She could stand up and advocate for me when doctors, nurses, people were coming in the room. She wanted more information um, on certain things. And God bless her for that, for being somebody who's just super headstrong. She's not intimidated by the medical establishment. She knows it very well. Um, she knows this process very well. And she's also someone who has a very holistic view. Yeah, so she so can also be like, yeah, I think you can do this without having a C-section, you know, even though, yes, obviously I'm not trying to discount what the doctors were saying, but I was able to have a vaginal delivery and my child was healthy despite being told that I needed a C-section. So I feel like the doula, can I shout out her name? Yes. Go for it. Myla Flores. I love you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> She's awesome. my galantine. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Wonderful. Did you have a question? I did. I wanted to ask how, you know, the experience of having a child has impacted your practice in any way. And, and you know, you mentioned the doula, um, but has that changed the way you talk to patients potentially, you know, thinking about getting pregnant or any of those wonderful things? Yeah. I and think, also, did it influence oh. why you wanted to create a class? Oh, for yeah. Oh, you created a class? Oh, yeah, girl. girl oh, class, talk to us girl. about the class. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what was it, the moment that came about? <laughs> Okay. So, you know, I feel like this experience absolutely changed how I viewed getting pregnant yeah. because, you know, as someone who really delayed having a family for such a long time, I didn't realize how, you know, how I don't want to say difficult, but it takes work um, when you're a little bit older. Just naturally, your fertility goes down right. when you as you age. Um, so it, it did take a little bit of work for me to really to get pregnant and to really change what I was doing. Um, you know, that included Cutting down on the liquor. Because as you guys know, living in New York City, everybody wants to have drinks. Popping bottles. On Mondays, Tuesdays, <laughs> Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. It doesn't matter what day. People want to have drinks with lunch, brunch. They want to have drinks with dinner. They want to have drinks in I the morning. I'm the only they New Yorker that never that. wants to have a drink. Oh, my goodness. I just feel like you. I love our mango lessons. Uh, I do. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> you live in New York long enough. You don't right. realize that you actually are consuming a lot of alcohol. Sure. Right? Like, and then just with the chronic stress, you know, not having a, a good wellness routine where you're like exercising on a regular basis, meditating on a regular basis, quieting your mind on a regular basis. Um, you're just like, go, 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 go. And so... But you're a doctor. Doesn't it come naturally? Girl, no. <laughs> it, it wears on you just like yeah. it does everybody else. Um, so I think that just kind of realizing like, wow, there are actually things that people should do to really set themselves up for the most optimal pregnancy possible and to put your mind in a place and your body in a place of relaxation and ease so that you may become pregnant. Um, but not only that, the pregnancy itself, which was pretty easy, but I did suffer from gestational diabetes. Um, so, you know, what does it mean to eat healthy during pregnancy? What kinds of things should you avoid during the pregnancy? Mm -hmm. um, what should you eat a lot of during the pregnancy? What should you eat a lot of during the pregnancy? Uh, you should eat a lot of... Asking for a friend. You should eat a lot of, I mean, this may sound very simplistic, but she should eat a lot of fruits and veggies. Mm. Raw, think steamed, fried, fried raw, zucchini, does that steamed, count? everything, girl. She However, left out, Didi, she left out fried. Fried zucchini? Yes. <laughs> I mean, she could eat, I mean, if you know, not okay. every day, okay. but she could, you know, if she gets her veggies in and she's happy eating them, definitely eat them okay. to her heart's content. Okay. Yes. Do you have to be vegan to make it work? No, you do not. 
Okay. You do not have to be vegan. Although I should say, just as a side note, that you know I am a vegetarian. Um, I highly recommend a vegetarian or vegan diet. It has been associated with reduced uh, risk of heart attacks, strokes, cancers, diabetes, hypertension. It you will live longer. Um, and so I highly recommend that, but I don't discourage people from eating meat either. Um, obviously there's, I mean, it's a whole other conversation to go into big agribusiness and what they're doing to our food. Mm, I think but, it's part of the reason why we all get sick to begin with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. So, and we're, and that we're all gaining weight at rapid, in rapid proportions. So big side. But that's a whole, like, aside. <laughs> that's a whole aside, but I do recommend that, um, but I forgot the other part of y'all question because well, I went off the on a pregnancy tangent. course. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Oh, yes. Because you were, you know, you are a medical expert. You are a doctor yourself. Did anything about how you, you know, navigated or the, what yes. you got, how you got treated um, yes. as a patient? Did any of that surprise <laughs> During the pregnancy? You? During your yes. Pregnancy. Okay. So I remember when I first went for my first visit with my doctor, um, we just did not hit it off. And I had a feeling I wasn't going to because, you know, as somebody who already has this knowledge uh, about what's supposed to happen and all of that, um, and I admit, I, I really did have high expectations and maybe I shouldn't have. So that's part of my advice is not to have high expectations. Really? Even of your because, physician? No. Okay. Mm-mm. We're wow. human. We're human. That's right. We're human. Fair. So you need you to come in. You human prices. Sorry, go Girl, you... <laughs> <laughs> I would say come armed with information. Okay. Like, right? Like any questions that you have, uh, any concerns that you have, um, any pregnancy history in your family, Mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, children who may have not made it all the way to the birth process, um, any miscarriages, um, any other chronic diseases that exist in your family, um, you know, asking, ask, 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 ask away. I think all too often patients are just very passive. Okay. So back to the story. So she, you know, her and I didn't hit off. She had me waiting mad long. And I was like, girl, what took you so long? I got to go back to work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I just didn't, I didn't feel like she was listening to me. The, the, The visit was very rushed. By the way, I hate being a patient. I'll just tell you right now. I hate it. So I was like, okay, so I guess that's it. It just denied it up. But the second visit I came back, I was like, no, I'm not. Before I changed so my doctor. you came back and you went back to the same I doctor. I went back to the same doctor. But I said, this time, I'm going to try to fix what, what went wrong last time. I'm going to at least give her an opportunity to fix what I feel like is an issue. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'm going to fix her. <laughs> no, I'm not going to fix her. Because I had to think about yeah. her, like, if I was in her shoes, what would I want the patient to do for right. me if right. if my patient was also a doctor? Would I want them to just leave and, like, be angry? No, I would want them to give me feedback, and I'd want them to give me an opportunity to speak about the prior events, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. she's human, right? Yeah, and right. I wasn't viewing her as a patient. I wasn't viewing her as human. Yeah. Right? right. So I had to kind of back up and be like, okay, she's human. She's also got children. She's got pressures. She's seeing a lot of people. She's got a busy practice. Mm-hmm. What would I want if I was in her position for someone to do for me? Mm-hmm. So we went back and we had a nice chat the second time. Um, and, you know, I think we actually spoke doctor to doctor, human to human mm-hmm. about um, some of the issues I had. And she was, you know, very apologetic about that and very, um, you know, understanding that of my position. And also as my first child is very nervous. I think that also contributed to it is the anxiety of being a first time parent, Mm -hmm. being a little bit older, wanting to make sure things go well. Um, So, 
you know, I was able to really rectify our relationship, which is good. So you stuck with her. I did stick with her. Okay. Yeah. I think one other important lesson I learned Mm -hmm. in going through this process is um, the nice doctor is not always the best doctor. And I think a lot of times people just, you know, make that distinction incorrectly like oh she was so nice to me she you know gave me whatever i wanted and she you know all the pills yeah no okay (laughs) all the xanax because the person who delivered my child i actually saw her in the office and i was like oh my god she's just like her bedside manner is terrible and she's like so off-putting and she whoa she got an attitude problem but this woman saved me and my baby's life and at the end of all of it, she came in after I had delivered my my beautiful bouncing baby boy. So gorgeous. And she was like, girl, you you basically did the impossible. And she gave me a hug and we cried together because she was scared. And she mm. showed me a level of vulnerability that I was like, wow, I didn't realize. Well, first of all, she was amazing during right. the labor. You know, the OB switch off, right? Mm. Like depending on how long the labor was. And it was extremely long. long? And she was like the last one. So it was like 32, 34, wow. three hours. Mm. Um so she was the last one to come on. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, she came in. She's like, what is happening here? This labor's moving too slow. We need to da 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 do this, do this, do this. Woo! I swear within four hours, the baby was out. She was not playing around. She's like, this is whatever was happening before. This is crazy. And what I realized is she was the most experienced. She was the best I think that's, one. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But again, that would be, that's not something I would have known up front. Right? right? The way that I had prejudged her you right. know what i mean and i didn't make an effort to communicate that with her like hey uh what's going on with your bedside manner lady <laughs> well i think what's really important and that you highlight is you, you i'm sure you did your research and and understood her history and knew that she was a very good doctor to to take it from both angles the mm-hmm. human angle and the experience angle right um, so I'm glad you went back now. Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, it was. I, I'm glad that I went back. But it's it's it's. So that experience, I think, taught me um, that I, you really do need to develop good communication skills with a physician, mm-hmm. um, and you need to plan. Um, There's so many things that I could talk about in that respect. But we'll do a part two. I yeah. we really will need to. The mm. last question that I have, um, when did you decide that you wanted I'm sorry, let me put it in our, our branding. When was the moment that you decided <laughs> that you wanted to to become uh really a health advocate and a health educator, not just a healthcare provider? Right. So you know, in this experience of being a patient, um, you really do learn that there's a lot of information that we just don't share with people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that we leave out, and it's not intentional. As it's a physician. Just, yeah, yeah, as a physician. It's not intentional. It's just that, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of time um, to, to really um, give that information to people. And, you know, also when you Google or go on the internet because that's mostly how people get their information. They shouldn't, but where else, if they have a burning question, you know, what, where else are they supposed to go? Um, you know, the information in many cases is incorrect. It's incomplete. Um, so people are just really confused and overwhelmed about where they, you know, where they should get the information and what's, what's Mm -hmm. reliable, what isn't. So really, after that experience, I, I decided that it was really important to really do this sort of education um, on a regular basis um, on a platform which, you know, is widely can be widely consumed so that people can, you know, understand what it is that they need to do to keep themselves healthy. 
Where can we find that information? So you can find that information on my website. Oh, yeah. It's empowerhealthcoaching.net. Also, you can follow me on social, Happy Healthy Dr. Alicia. Uh, Alicia is spelled A-L-I-S-H-A, not C-I-A. Um, but yes, you can Alicia, find we're going to hire you to do all our branding. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was flawless. Thank you so very much. Oh, I have I have one more question. Had you not had your revelatory moment at the age of nine that you wanted to be a doctor, where do you think your life would be now? You know, I always wanted to be an interior designer. Girl, it's not too late. <laughs> I know. <laughs> She's I'm... busy saving the world. <laughs> okay, all right. Save the I'm planet. I'm not really and sure, people. actually. We, we have interior designers for you folks. Yeah. Yes. Listen, <laughs> exactly. we know someone who sells pillows. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because it's completely opposite of what, you know. It is. But also, also I couldn't imagine my life any differently. I mean, everybody's life has, the, they're, they're set on the path that they're on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are some things you can control, a lot of things you can't control. I don't think this is something I could have controlled. It's like, you know, when there's something in you that just drives you that forward, no matter mm-hmm. how, if you want to go back, it's like, nope, you're not going back. You're going forward. Wow. That's kind of how that drive was just like all the way to the end. Dr. Alicia Liggett, we are so honored to have you here today. It's been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. I need to get, again, as I always say at the end of these, I need to get my life together. I need to get my history written down. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got my work to do. I need to take this class. Listen, yes, we are speaking Take life. the class. There's so much information. Yeah. We talk about but basically all the things that I spoke about uh, today. Well, thank you so much. Please join us again at the table. We'd love to have you. And in the meantime, check out your website, empowerhealthcoaching.net. Follow Alicia on social. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. That's right. Thank you. And of course, (laughs) you can always follow us on social at the underscore Bali underscore effect on Instagram. Boom. I, that's our only one, right? That's our only one. Yeah. <laughs> but really, most importantly, you can you can also catch us on Spotify and Apple and a whole oh. bunch of other places. Yes, mm-hmm. please subscribe to our podcast because we really want to share not just our antics, me and Preeti's, but <laughs> all of this brilliance that our wonderful guests yes, are yeah. putting out into the world. So yeah. keep on tuning in every Sunday. We're dropping them for you. That's right. Have a great time doing it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. See you guys next time. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, follow us on Instagram, the underscore Bali underscore effect. And we'll see you there. Thank you. Bye. Check us out.